Hello and thanks for watching. My name is Michael Brock. I'm the senior pastor here at Third Presbyterian Church. Third Pres has been a part of the downtown Birmingham community since 1884, and we still today hold to the historic, classic Christian faith. We're glad you've been watching, but we would love to have you join us one Sunday in person. Please see our website for our Sunday morning service times, and I hope to meet you soon. Amen. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them with me to Ephesians chapter 6, which is page number 979 in your pew Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6, 979 in your pew Bibles. And if you have children and you'd like to send them off, ages 3 to 8, to the children's Bible lesson, you're free to do so at this time. I can think of three sort of unique practices uh, or things that go on here at Third Presbyterian Church. One is that which I mentioned in the pastoral prayer. We just uh, want to be diligent to pray for you all in your various callings. Perhaps um, uh, before I was uh, in church vocational ministry, I, I worked in the business world. And so, uh, so you all who um, are, are out, you know, teachers, engineers, doctors, lawyers, whatever you all do... Um, uh, you definitely have a, a soft spot in my heart because I've been there. And I remember what it's like to have my quiet time early in the morning and then be so busy in the middle of the day that 10 o'clock would come around and I'd be thinking, what did I read in my Bible this morning? You know, and, uh, um, and I get paid to think about my Bible all day. And it's a great privilege, but I, I know where you are. And, and it's, uh, so we wanted to be diligent to pray for you. But another thing that's, uh, that you can count on at Third Presbyterian Church is that I'll wear my seersucker every Easter and Labor Day, every day Labor Day weekend. Uh, I said earlier, as long as it fits. And, and so sometimes it seems like uh, the pants are shrinking, but we'll, uh, we'll keep doing our best. But the, the third and, uh, thing that I'll mention is a, a unique practice here at um, Third Presbyterian Church is around Labor Day every year I preach a sermon on the subject of work. It doesn't have to be the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. It might be the Sunday before or the Sunday after. But uh, I preach on the subject of work. Again, it kind of goes back to what I was just talking about a minute ago uh, about um, working in the, in the, in the world, um, as most of you do. And so I'm going to do that this morning. I, and this was sort of a last-minute change because you see there in your bulletin, I was just going to keep going and preach there in Romans chapter 1, the next sermon uh, in that series. But I decided to make a change and so uh, I'm going to preach on work and labor today. Uh, this will be the, the fifth sermon then. This is my fifth year as pastor here. Still got a long way to go to catch Brother Brian and Brother Jimmy and, uh, and Richard uh, Trucks. So uh, uh, we've got about 35 more years to kind of catch the average of time that pastors have been here. But um, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here and to preach on this subject now a fifth time. And I'm calling this morning's sermon, Seeing Our Work Through New Eyes. From Ephesians chapter 6. Now, just a little background. Ephesians, I uh, preached through Ephesians in 2022, and uh, I'm sure you all will remember all the details of all, every single one of those sermons um, very um, clearly in your mind. The first three chapters of Ephesians uh, tell us all about the spiritual uh, blessings that we have in Christ. And um, there, there, it's beautiful doctrine there in chapters 1, 2, and 3 and the unity that we have because of Christ as a body of believers. 
And then you get to chapter 4, and it changes subjects. It doesn't really change subjects, but it sort of changes focus. 4, 5, and 6 are calling us to walk worthy of that calling that has just been explained in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, it tells us to walk worthy. Chapter 4, verse 17, it says to walk, walk differently. Walk differently from the way the Gentiles do. Chapter 5, verse 2, we're to walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8, walk in light. Walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 15, we're to walk in wisdom. Um, carefully, circumspectly. Which then it goes on, which means we don't get drunk. We submit to one another. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands love wives. And then it gets into chapter 6 and talks about the relationships between parents and children and how there's supposed to be obedience there on the part of the children. And then it talks a little bit about masters and slaves. Same sort of thing. And that's what we're going to be spending our time on today is in that uh, category, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Again, in, in light of all that we have in Christ, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, we then live in these certain ways. And so because we have been made new in Christ and we see life from a new perspective, then we see as well all these other things, in particular today, our work. And I hope that you'll allow the transfer uh, here of uh, bond servants, slaves, servants, and, and, and their relationship to their masters. I hope you'll allow me to transfer that. Most of the commentaries, the, the writers and, and theologians and scholars who are smarter than probably me and you both put together uh, allow that. And so that's what we'll be doing today is we'll be sort of transferring some principles uh, in that relationship that's noted uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 from Paul. We'll talk about that in regards to our work. So from Ephesians chapter 6, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Beginning in verse 5, reading through verse 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things from this, your word. We pray through Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One statistic that I saw recently said that in the uh, 1890s, the average worker worked 100 hours a week. Now, I, I I have to confess, I find that a little bit hard to believe, um, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that history probably would show that in years past, uh, workers did put in more hours than, than we do today. Uh, and of course, they did it usually in worse conditions than which we, in which we find ourselves today. The 40-hour work week was established by President Grant in 1869. And then it was in the 1920s that Ford Motor Company uh, introduced and implemented a 40-hour 
work week. Which leads to questions, you know, how many hours should I work? Uh, and even a question other than that would be, should the government be dictating you know, how many hours people should work? And then there are all kinds of questions that we could have about work. I mean, uh, should smoke breaks be paid for? You know, things like that. Uh, should, should maternity leave be expanded? Should minimum wage be set to a certain... Should there be such a thing as a minimum wage? So there are all kinds of questions that we could have about work. And debating those would, would be a fun exercise, certainly. Uh, to hear different people uh, and their points of view on these sorts of things. But we, I don't think Paul would have been debating these sorts of things. Matter of fact, in this passage, um, working conditions were not on Paul's radar at all. It certainly wasn't a primary concern. He, he, he would not have made a very good labor union rep in light of what he says here in Ephesians chapter 6. And then this the social structures, social conditions... They also were not Paul's primary concerns, which means not only would he have been a bad labor union rep, but he wouldn't have made a good politician or lawmaker either. Paul had come to believe that Jesus is Lord. He had met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's walking to Damascus. In one moment, he's a, a Christ hater, an unbeliever, a, a, a hater of Christians, and then uh, by the time he reaches Damascus, he's a changed man. He'd come to know the Lord. He believed that, that Jesus was alive and well. And that changed everything about the way he lived his life. He saw everything differently after coming to know Christ. Which, as a just very brief aside, makes me ask the question, is the Christian faith changing you? Is the Christian faith changing the way you see the world? Is it changing the way you see your work? Is it changing the way you relate to your co-workers or uh, subordinates or your superiors, depending on your situation? Well, the Lord and the Christian faith changed Paul, changed the way he saw things. And by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, it changes the way you and I see things as well. So let me just point out three things here. As Christian workers, now with the Spirit of God leading us with new minds, new hearts, we go from three different things. We go, first of all, from focusing on our rights to our responsibilities. We go from focusing on our rights to our responsibilities, which is what we see here in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. It, it's really kind of a... Not easy, but simple, clear command. Obey. Submit. Submit to the wishes of those who are your authorities. And really this entire section is on the idea of submission. Going back to verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 5, we're told to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in chapter 6, children are to obey or submit to, the, uh, to their parents. And then here in verse 5 of chapter 6, um, uh, bond servants, servant slaves are to submit to their masters. The eyes of faith teach us to see submission 
as not some sort of restricting or um, oppressive thing. The eyes of faith teach us to appreciate obedience, to appreciate submission. And as we see here, it would teach us to focus not on our rights, but on our responsibilities before God. Living by faith means that we go, we, we let go of making sure that we're not taken advantage of. Living by faith means that we are able to defer to others. Living by faith means that we can submit to those who are over us. Living by faith means that we don't have to claim our rights. So I was a high schooler and college student in the 80s and the Beastie Boys came out with a song about how you've got to fight for your right to party. And everybody sang it, you know, all the time. Well, a little different idea here. We're not fighting for our rights. We are obeying our earthly masters here. We are focusing on our responsibilities, not our rights. And living by faith means that I don't have to fight for my rights. I can focus on my responsibilities instead. I can entrust myself to the Lord and obey and know that His plan, however He works it out for me, will be good and for my benefit and, and His glory. I can entrust myself to the Lord and simply do my duty. Now, I'm not saying that you would then allow yourself to be abused or something like that. Not at all. You, you, you need, there are certain situations like that that are over the top. You get out of those. And, and you do seek to change laws or situations that encourage abuse. And, or, or you, you know, Certainly. But other than that, submit. Through the eyes of faith, we're no longer people who are consumed with or or fixated on what's happening to us, we have a higher calling. And to live by faith means that I live for that higher calling. You know, you think about it. If, if you, no doubt, surely some of you think that your work situation is significant, um, difficult, hard. Um, estimates from most historians, they guess that in the Roman world, about a third of the population were slaves of various sorts. Um, you know, they, there were different types of slavery, some kind of more extreme or oppressive or difficult than others. Others almost just like you were a hired, you know, a hired person. Um, you're hired to do a job of some sort. But that's what God's calling us to. That's what Paul says here. Even in that situation... Obey. Don't spend your life fighting for your rights or organizing to improve working conditions. Obey the obey the what's what what God gives you. And you know you can do this if you've got peace with God. If you have found Christ, then you can live with imperfect conditions. And you can do that because if if God has given you a perfect Status, which He has if you're in Christ, you stand before Him perfect, righteous, holy. And if you've got that perfect condition spiritually, then you can live with imperfect conditions physically in the here and now. And you can live like this. You can, uh, you can do, live this, 
in light of this higher calling to obey and focused on our responsibilities, not our rights, um, when you don't look for utopia on this earth. You know, the per- personal conditions in which we live or work, the, the social sim- systems. Yeah, we, you're sure we're involved in those. We vote certain ways and, and different things like that. But those aren't our primary concern. Our primary concern is our responsibility before the Lord. And so we thank God for our work. We quit griping and complaining about our work. We do our job. We quit trying, we, we, we quit trying to get out of work. <laughs> You know, the good life doesn't consist in escaping work. That's, that's what most, most, of the, most of the messages that we see and hear, you know, is, is you just can't wait to, you know, be no longer working, whether it's, you know, Friday 5 o'clock or retirement or whatever it is. But the good life consists in seeing your calling to obey and work hard in the situation God has placed you. I've been reading a book on the American Indian um, by uh, R.J. Rushdoony. Uh, and he was a Presbyterian minister whose first call was to an Indian reservation in northern Nevada, southern Idaho. Part of it is uh, the Paiutes and the Shoshones, and part of it is in northern Idaho, and then the other part is in, uh, in, in southern Idaho. And the basic gist of the book, in, in a lot of ways, is that government welfare has ruined the American Indian. And... Um, uh, whereas the the uh, the Indian used to be a uh, a survivor, uh, now they are dependent, and before they were independent, and so he, he's talking about that how it's just ruined his work ethic and and turned his attention the American Indian to his rights, uh, and how he's been wronged by the white man, and how he ought to go back go back to the ways of the Indians, and in one chapter uh, he, he writes. The older Indians were hard-headed and unsentimental. One cold day with snow on the ground, some old Indians stood in front of one of the trading places on the reservation. A young man who had been indoctrinated into the new Indianism, later called the Indian Rights Movement, began to talk about the injustices of the white man and the land stolen from the Indians. The older man erupted into laughter, scorn, and abusive language. I asked one of them what he had said to the young Indian in his Shoshone language, and he answered, I told him that I grew up with his grandfather. I remember that man shivering in his moccasins and breechcloth on a cold day because he was a poor hunter. I told him, but look at you. You have two pairs of pants on to keep warm and the white man's shoes and the white man's automobile to drive in. If you're fool enough to want what your grandfather had, don't count me in. I'm an Indian, not a jackass. <laughs> you know, that's what focusing on our rights will do. It'll make us whiners, complainers. The eyes of faith enable us to focus on our responsibilities, which we see here from Ephesians chapter 6, are to obey. And then second, as Christian workers, we go from pleasing man to pleasing God. Not just from focusing on our rights or responsibilities, but we go from pleasing man to pleasing God. Verse 5 again, Bond servants, obey your masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, 
rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You know, twice in these verses it talks about the heart. Three times it talks about working as to Christ, working as for the Lord. You know, what often uh, characterizes a man who doesn't live for Christ is an outward appearance of working hard, but then cutting corners. Or only working hard when the boss is looking. Eyes of faith work for the Lord. Which means you do what's right, you work hard, you do what's best for others or the the firm or the company or whatever, their, their best interest. And you do it whether or not you're ever recognized. You know, if, if you're working for that recognition for the for the accolades of man, you'll know that, that, that you're working for that motive when your effort goes unrewarded and you get mad. <laughs> Certainly a, a good boss is going to recognize the hard work of others and, and reward them accordingly, but a Christian works for the Lord, not for whether or not he's ever recognized, seen, rewarded. I mentioned earlier that uh, I worked in business before coming into the ministry and um, in, in one particular setting, the, the Friday afternoon, this was in the 90s, and so Friday afternoon, the sales numbers would come across the fax machine, you know, whatever, 3 or 4 o'clock, you know, 5 o'clock, you, you kind of see how everybody was doing for the week, and, uh, um, and it was, you know, all the salesmen were listed there, and I was one of the salesmen, and I mean, you always wanted your name at the top of the list. You know, there was a, the weekly list, how many, you know, what sort of sales you had for that week. And then there was the year-to-date list. And um, I, I don't think I ever um, fudged on my sales numbers, but I can guarantee you I wanted to. I wanted to have my name at the top of the list. And, and certainly we appreciate We want to work hard. We want to do well. We want to serve our employers with great diligence. And we want to, we want to be successful in our work. But we've got to be careful not to work to please man. We, we work to please the Lord. When you walk with the Lord and you see new eyes, of, you live with new eyes, eyes of faith, you, you have a new boss, you have new goals, you have new, uh, a, a new end to the way you live your life. One commentary says it this way, The right motivation of the Christian slave towards his, towards his work is explainable only by the slave's attitude toward his true master, Jesus. So you can only really have the right attitude toward your work when you understand that you're working for the Lord. He's your true master. He's our true master. Which leads to, again, thankfulness, peace, joy, diligence. And if we don't know the love of God, then we'll... We'll just have too much invested in our work. We'll expect too much from it. It'll be through our work that we try to find significant. It'll be through our work that we try to find um, meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction. And that will lead to working to please man. Michael Horton in, in uh, his um, radio program called The White Horse Inn, he, he said it this way, I'm so fearful of what other people think whether they are judging the quality of my 
work the way I would like. I'm so concerned about the judgments people make uh, on my life. At that moment, I've got to be thinking, wait a second. I've been judged already in the courtroom of heaven and found not guilty. I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Why do I keep seeking my identity and dignity from, uh, dignity from other people? It's so hard, but we keep drawing our identity from something or someone other than Jesus Christ. And that's true. And when we get our identity, our significance, our meaning, we find ourselves in the Lord Jesus, then we are able to work with proper motivations for the Lord and not for men. And then third and finally, as Christian workers, we go not only from focusing on our rights to our responsibilities and go from seeking to please men to pleasing God, but we go from using people to respecting people. Using people to respecting people. Now, verse 9 here in this passage uh, reads, Masters, do the same to them. Okay, do, who's the them? Do the same to your slaves. Okay, the same what? Takes you back to verse 6, where we read to, that they're be, to be doing the will of God from the heart. So in other words, this is saying, uh, Masters, do the will of God from the heart to your slaves. Which still leads to the question, well, what is the will of God? And verse 7 gives us the answer to that question. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. The will of God is to render service. The will of God is to meet needs. The will of God is to serve people. Now don't forget, this is Paul telling masters to serve their servants. So the verse in one sense can be translated, Masters, do the will of God which is serving your servants from the heart. And then notice in verse 9, and stop your threatening. You know, you can just kind of picture, you know, him like a, like a child receiving the, the pointed finger from mom. Stop that. Stop doing that. Stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. All of this, I believe, adds up to Paul telling the Christians there, treat their slaves as people, as human beings. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with respect. And that's what we're, we're called here to do. We're called to work with people and serve people and meet the needs of people. We're called to treat them as human beings. And see, see people as more than just cogs in an economic machine. Whether they're working for you in your endeavor or, or you're selling to them and, and you need them to, for your own economic benefit. We see them not as people, uh, not as projects or opportunities to improve our sales numbers. They're human beings and they should be treated with dignity and respect. One article put it this way, We should not be satisfied with a society that is good at delivering material well-being to people, while at the same time fostering tendencies that keep them from leading good lives. Let me, let me 
say it again. We should not be satisfied with a society that is good at delivering material well-being to people, blessing them with material things, while at the same time fostering tendencies that keep them from leading good lives. In other words, it's not good to, to deliver to people goods to people while also using them or shaping them into something that's bad for them. I just got a book in the mail. I don't think it was yesterday. I think it was Friday. Um, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. And it's about, I believe, this very thing. It's, talk, it's talking about our dig, the digital age in which we live. And I, I think it's going to essentially say in, in, in many deep and profound and helpful ways that we've got to be careful with people. That we, we can't just provide a tool, a digital tool, the Internet, be it Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, you know, whatever. We can't, just, we can't just think about the tool itself and the content that's being provided through the tool. But we've got to think about what the tool does to us as human beings. So there's the, the message and then there's the form of the message. And the form of the message is shaping us as human beings in significant and oftentimes destructive ways. And as Christians, we think about that sort of thing. We're not just out to, to win a, get a sale or something like that. We think about what is, what's happening in the process of getting this sale. Am I using people? Am I treating people properly? Am I, am I using some sort of, in this, like a, this book that I'm referring I mean, using some sort of digital technology that is bad for society, bad for humanity as a whole. Paul's charge here is for those in authority not to simply focus on meeting material needs and wants. He's telling us to be concerned with the nature of what it means to be human. And the eyes of faith will make a decision to believe that treating people differently will result in blessing for all involved rather than being focused on using people as a means to an end. So that's how Christians think about their work and how they think about their work differently from the way they thought about it before they knew Christ. We go from focusing on our rights and re, uh, to our responsibilities. We go from seeking to pe- go from seeking to please men to seeking to please God, and then we go from using people to respecting people. May that be the case for each of us in whatever calling you find yourself, even this week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need Your Spirit to lead us to being people who live in our vocations and our work settings differently from the way the world lives. We admit that we will fall back into the same traps that those who don't know Christ fall into. And the one, and we'll fall back into the same traps that, in which we fell before we knew Christ. And we'll think about our rights and if they're being abused. And we'll think about uh, just pleasing man and, and we'll use people. So, oh God, help us by the Holy Spirit to think and live differently in our work settings. I pray these things.